Welcome to Building the Future, hosted by Kevin Horick. With millions of listeners a month, Building the Future has quickly become one of the fastest rising programs with a focus on interviewing startups, entrepreneurs, investors, CEOs, and more. The radio and TV show airs in 15 markets across the globe, including Silicon Valley. For full showtimes, past episodes, or to sponsor the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have James Dunavent. He's the CEO at Tend. James, welcome to the show. Hey, Kevin. Very happy to be here. Yeah, I'm Thanks excited. To have, yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. I think what you guys are doing at Tend is actually really innovative and cool. But maybe before we get into that, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up. Sure. Um, so I grew up somewhat in the middle of nowhere um, okay. in Mississippi, in the Mississippi Delta, actually, um, a town of less than 100 people. Oh, wow. Um, so we're in a, a suburb, you might call it the mighty metropolis of Rolling Fort, Mississippi, which has all of 2,500 people. Um, wow. But, you know, home of the blues, there's a reason for that. You know, one of the more impoverished areas um, of our country. And, and, you know, I say that just because I do think it's been impactful on my overall perspective and kind of what's, you know, led me out of the Delta to do what I'm doing today in, in different ways. Fascinating. Okay. So you went to university. What did you take and why? Yeah. So I, I went to school in Mississippi at Mississippi state, um, studied finance, um, actually intended at that point to go to law school. Um, okay. I went to law school for a day and then decided that I did not want to do that. And I would say it, for me, it turned out to be a very sound decision. Um, Why do so, you say that? Or what happened <laughs> that day? <laughs> well, before I went to law school this summer, um, I went on a hike on the Appalachian Trail. So we hiked like um, 500 miles. So that was a good thinking time wow. about what you really want to do in life. My father was an attorney. Um, so, you know, some of that pursuit comes from what you're, um, see from day one of your life. Um, but just upon those reflections, really much more interested in business, um, becoming involved in kind of the, the broader commerce, but even more specifically, it had always um, a natural interest in the financial system. Um, you know, learned about a bit about that in undergrad and so really went on the pursuit, made the decision that the parents were not happy with about um, finding things where I could just kind of pursue intellectual curiosity, right? Um, so coming out of the Delta, I got my first job. Um, this is what I, I don't talk about a whole lot, but I think it's interesting actually as a mortgage broker um, okay. in Nashville, Tennessee. And so this was pre-crisis, right? Pre the 09, uh, 08, 09 collapse, which, you know, the mortgage industry at that point in time was quite formative for the way things played out. So. I did that for, for just a year, um, but from a conf consumer finance standpoint, you know, seeing um, both the positives and, and certainly some of the negatives, the first kind of touch of some of these things seemed unsustainable. I think it was a, a very good experience to me. Um, and then it kind of led me to do a 180 in some regards. So I, I went from being a mortgage 
uh, broker to becoming a, a regulator um, at the Federal Reserve. Interesting. So, yeah. Um, so seeing some of those learnings, I thought it would be good one to to be a, more a part of, of the formation of the system, but but also learn about that. Um, you know, as a as a bank examiner, I worked across more than I think seventy financial institutions, um, and that turned out to be a fairly formative period as well because you you kind of had the setup, and then I went into the crisis as a bank regulator, so got to go through. Um, a couple of failed bank exercises where we would declare an institution in Georgia and Atlanta and, and one in Miami uh, critically undercapitalized. Um, so again, many real-time learnings about the way all these things kind of come together. Um, and I think, you know, good context in, in terms of, um, you know, what the next pursuit might be. Interesting. Okay. So, how did you become CEO of Tend and what exactly is it? Yeah, so going from the Fed, um, you know, I left there, actually went to New York. At that point in time, wanted to become an institutional investor. Um, oh, interesting. And it's, it's further, further kind of on this path of what can I go do where you can kind of pursue intellectual curiosity and then find opportunities from that. Um, and so I felt like investing would be a, a good avenue. So went to Columbia Business School, um, you know, the, the home of value investing, Warren Buffett. Um, also, just from a personal growth perspective, felt that New York would be a good place to be. Um, so did Columbia and then spent a couple of years as an investment banker, then became a, a institutional investor first at a a hedge fund called Pine River Capital. And we invested globally across financial services. And that's where I got my first touch of emerging markets. So, you know, we looked at banks in Russia, for instance, we looked at a number of different opportunities in Latin America. So yeah. that kind of extended my thinking out a bit, but was there for a very short time and then became um, a private equity investor at uh, the Ford Financial Fund, which is run by Gerald Ford, you know, one of the more renowned uh, investors in the bank space. Um, and we, we took control positions in banks, so we ran the banks. Um, so wow. I spent six years there where we basically, um, you know, spent a lot of time in California. Uh, most specifically, we had a platform that was a $3 billion really community bank and then transformed that into a $20 billion um, statewide institution. And it was really that period of time that it kind of formulated um, my interest in, you know, kind of taking the step into financial technology. You, you had a few different things happen during that period. The, the first is, you know, open banking within the U.S. actually became viable, right, from right. a regulatory standpoint and also uh, the ability to connect all the dots through digital experiences. Um, and then... You also had the increasing kind of utility of the broader fintech ecosystem. And so we had some conventional brick and mortar banks and began to transform those into more uh, direct digital experiences for people. During that time, you also had kind of this emergence of the frontier, right? So with uh, more truly distributed democratic 
financial ecosystem. So with digital assets, right? We had the the kind of birth and emergence of, of Bitcoin um, right. in that broader world. And so one day to day, we were applying many of these open banking solutions in our conventional model. Um, I became increasingly immersed and obsessed with many of these frontier, um, you know, promises for the future. And all of that period kind of led me into the realization that, you know, these models fundamentally do need to change. There's a lot of opportunity there to um, certainly better serve people. Right. Sure. Um, but, but then also really just train, change the overall um, construct of what it is to provision financial services. Um, so just kind of coming to those conclusions, it's like, all right, well, I've got to, I've got to dive in. And so that high level overview led us to uh, me jumping into TEND, right? Which started at the uh, beginning of last year in terms of setting the foundation. Um, so we okay. started in February of last year. And the intention is really to develop um, a membership based model for people so that we can be a curator of a broad set of financial um, solutions, right? That really gets to the core competency of what it means to um, leverage open systems, to also provide access, but take membership as far as it can go, right? So that people are not just getting um, quality tools and best value, but also have an empowered voice and a co-creation element to the platform um, that aligns with what we're seeing on the frontier, you know, this strong secular movement to people really have an expectation, a need to have more empowerment um, to drive the solutions that they're using. Um, and so that, in essence, is, you know, the birth of TAN in terms of just what the overall um, vision might be. Got you. No, fascinating. So how did you come up with the idea and actually decide to go for it, though? Well, so the bank that we had in California was heavily retail focused, right? So you see a lot of just the common consumer um, circumstance there. We see who we did serve well um, within that market. And then by omission, where the bank is not serving well, um, as you know, California is uh, heavily Hispanic. Um, we had a bank that was not necessarily focused in the heavily Hispanic markets. But when you look at the population set there, there's a recognition that there is some degree of underserving, right? Okay. And so decided, I mean, I've always kind of been a research oriented person to, to dig into that further. Um, and you recognize that there is a real need, right? So if you look at the Hispanic market in the U.S., 43% are underbanked or unbanked wow. um, relative to 17% for the majority. Um, and then those that are uh, banked typically pay, you know, three times the fees um, wow. of the majority. And so it's, it's really looking at um, uh, where can you add the most value in a meaningful community? Um, and then it's also true if you look at just the prospects for the future from a demographic standpoint, you know, the growth, of the overall Hispanic community is probably going to be the largest contributor to US economic growth over the next 20 years, right? So there is um, a community that can you can offer the most value to. Um, 
that also has a very promising and ascending future where you can go and accommodate that future. But then looking further into it from there, um, you, you get into Mexico, right? Because that's a natural touch point to be able to connect people. Um, right. where we do have significant financial in inefficiency between connecting financially across borders. Um, and so digging into that, suddenly, you know, came to the conclusion that there is a, a broad, broader um, open space there to serve people and provide them access in Mexico than what we have um, in the U.S., where we can provide a formidable offering. And what you also see there is a very, very strong interest and in early adoption rates for fintech solutions, whereas the conventional bank banking system has not been used, right? Most, right. you have 90% cash-based transactions. But to, putting those two pieces together, you form, all right, so from a competitive standpoint, how do we come uh, to an overall platform that has true distinction? And you recognize making the full connection, so completely serving both markets with a full service banking solution and then the ability to move money is something that's not out there today, right? So I think we have a distinction um, to be that neobank that can focus and connect people uh, between the US and Mexico and provide them one coherent experience um, to be able to transact, right? Hold money, move money together. And then as we've talked about with some of the social overlays, even be able to um, socially interact. No, interesting. Yeah, it's it's completely fascinating to me how complicated it is to move money to another country or how complicated it can be, right? No matter what bank you use or how well you're set up. No doubt, no doubt. And, you know, from a digital solution standpoint, it's not that complicated, but you do have regulatory um, barriers that can be multifaceted, right? Um, so the first is simply having the licenses, but then it's also getting um, a cash inflow all the way into the system and, and out on the other side. And, and you've got a, a lot of different types of licensing and complexities that need to be coordinated. Uh, and just, you know, as I mentioned, over the past few years, you've really been able to seamlessly do that from a digital experience, but it's still early. Um, and, and there are still many things to be solved for. So for us, what, what we can do, because we do have the full ability to provide a banking solution on both sides, and we have bank partners with their charters, we can leverage that and then allow those two banks to directly interact, right, um, through our messaging system. So the intradaily activity is accounted for and then from a currency standpoint, we can go more to a wholesale solution to do an end of day clearing type solution, which for the user simply brings down the cost, right? Um, while at the same time, we're making that very user friendly. So it's real time because of that coordination between the two institutions and our technology. Fascinating. So you touched on something a few minutes ago that I I want to dive a little bit deeper on so I understand it better mm -hmm. is people that are underserved in the banking world pay more um, in fees. Is that just because anything they want to do, they have to go to a bank that's probably not their own bank, maybe because they don't have a bank account and that bank just charges them kind of an arm and a leg just to do a simple service or 
what's the rationale behind that? That that is a piece of it, right? Less are setting up primary account relationships. And so they're going to get higher transaction costs, right? Because they're coming in more as a one-off as opposed to having that balance out with some of, you know, perhaps providing a balance to the bank, which delivers economics. But then it's also just having a, a general lack of competitiveness within banking in underserved communities. You know, if you go to a place where the demographics are upper income, you've got a significant amount of solutions. And these other markets, there there are going to be less options and less competition. And so the prices in general are just going to structurally be higher. Right. Got you. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. So I want to dive a little bit deeper into some of the features and services you offer because I think right. – there it's actually really innovative so do you want to dive into maybe let's start talking about some of the services you offer and the rewards and benefits that uh, tend actually does and gives to their uh, users for sure um, so we are a membership model right which okay. means that there is an upfront transparent subscription um, that in our view aligns us with the consumer um, to be a more sustainable relationship, right? So you know transparently what our economics are, and then that empowers us to go and lower the cost of all of the other services that we deliver. So we're not a transaction monetization model, right? Um, with that though, clearly for people to have, um, be compelled to sign up for a membership model, you need a critical mass of value add. Right. So our general view is that the FinTech ecosystem is now at that point where you can bring that value add to the table. The first piece is you need to have tangible returns on activities. So we've got a suite of core solutions to hold your money. So a transaction account, a savings account, um, ability to do peer to peer domestically, which is live today, but then a broad rewards ecosystem behind that. So you've got, you know, deep cash back rewards for shopping across a lot of different retailers that's live in the US and Mexico. Um, in the US, that's more, I think, of a table stakes. It would absolutely be necessary for us to have that type of model. And in Mexico, it's it's a, a new thing in many ways to have a, a nice deep inventory of rewards is something that you don't see a lot. And we were able to basically leverage our partnerships from the US and bring them cross border to provide something um, that's going to be better than the alternatives in the market. That's but then, very cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, I mean, we always want to think about from our vantage point, how can we um, cross pollinate, right? To, to sure. really add value in the markets. And so we'll want to do more of that. Um, but then you can book travel on the platform. So global travel bookings, we actually have uh, access to wholesale rates and can pass those economics on to our members. And so they're gonna get better price than if they were to go to Expedia or any of the other retail aggregators and then also get cash back uh, to take on their trip. And then there's access to deep discounts, right? So it's just the aggregation of all the couponing out there. And, and the basic idea there is to simply be able to put best value in people's hands as they go through their daily activities and then ultimately provide a tangible value proposition, a return on what they're paying for the subscription. Uh, and so we'll continue to deepen that inventory. I think our priorities for getting into 2022 
is uh, to make that more proactive and personalized. And so we're starting off with more of an inventory type model, but really we need to be able to deliver that benefit to you as you go through your life, right? So if you walk into Home Depot, we need to let you know that you've got an opportunity to save and then get that to you immediately upon checking out. Um, so that'll, that'll be an important thing for us other than just continuing to deepen that inventory. Um, in terms of just rounding out the product set and what TEND is, we also have some complimentary insurance in the product. So it's just a small term life um, policy. That is a foreshadowing of our intention to roll out a full line of insurance offerings uh, for both US and Mexico. And it'll be you know basic things. So more term life, but then home auto renters insurance. Um, and then as we fill that out, we'll get into some you know more niche solutions for, for our um, markets that we serve and you know things like gig economy and whatnot. Um, so that's the basic product set at the start. And certainly that will um, broaden as we go through um, the next year or so pretty meaningfully. But then you also have the social side, right? So I mentioned that we're intending to build a community-driven platform. And so the starting point for that is what we call the green. And so this is a social forum um, in its beginning stage is intended to deliver content. Um, and it's content based on the principles of, of financial education. Um, and so we have, you know, a small army of very talented writers that we really free up to write on things around money um, that are compelling and interesting to them through more of a storytelling model. Uh, so if you think about financial education today, there's actually no shortage of financial education inventory. Uh, if you go to the CFPB, I mean, there's a tremendous library of anything you could want to study and it's very high quality. The issue is that people don't actively engage right in the, the right. financial literacy experience and so we want to put it in a form that um, it is compelling you know it's interactive it's through storytelling of other individuals that share in similar cir circumstances so that people are really built building kind of that that rote mindfulness uh to better live their financial lives so that's the starting point for the green we'll get that out and cultivate a conversation through the public channels, and then we'll have uh, the ability to have conversation inside of our platform. So message boards, chat rooms, um, that's the starting point. What we'll also be doing is bringing out a number of different interactive tools um, so that people might be able to see where they are in their financial circumstance relative to um, many different benchmarks, perhaps within the um, community, but then also empowering people to be able to determine really where 10 goes from here and so we'll do things like publish our roadmap right what we intend to build over the course of the next year call it and then provide voting mechanisms so that our our members can consciously um, tell us what the priorities should be and we'll be doing a lot of other you know co-creation efforts like that as we go through it ultimately to put as much power uh, within the community's hands as we possibly can for the platform. Um, and then last piece I'll say there, so you have the product side, you have the social experience, then we have what I think really connects the platform um, is our revenue sharing model, right? Um, so empower the voice, provide people best um, value for different needs. Um, 
empower them to be able to determine where we're going, but people should also receive rewards for their actions um, in a perpetual form. And so that's the 10 shares concept, right? So our members can take particular actions and they will get a percentage of the recurring revenue of 10 itself. Uh, so examples would be if someone signs up for a direct deposit, um, they get their first 10 share. So that's a commitment to make this a primary um, relationship. If they invite friends, family, um, as long as they are current and active on the platform, they would receive 10 shares for that. Um, and it's really, you know, just providing um, every touch point that you possibly can to, to enable a community driven platform. Fascinating. And basically none or very, very few kind of financial institutions are basically offering these types of programs and incentives. Is that fair to say? That's correct. It's, as far as I know, and, you know, I try to study it as closely as I can. Um, as you know, things are always changing. Um, sure. But for referrals, people do cash bonuses. That's very common, uh, sometimes right. substantial. The distinction is really providing that ongoing set of economics and providing that commitment to doing so. No, and I also think the fact that you're allowing your members to vote on your roadmap is really quite different. I've worked um, with people that have worked in the banking space and I've done a little bit in, in my past. And it's just trying to get even something simple into an app to do something basic and offer some sort of reward can be quite challenging. Never mind allowing your users to kind of dictate potentially where you go, I think is right. actually really innovative. And it's really all about reintroducing like conscious decisions right you know in into products um and and providing accountability to us to do that you know we can have the roadmap that galvanizes what our priority should be we could certainly go and do things that are over and above that but at the end of the day we know we have a certain tangible level of accountability to you know the members that we're serving no i i think that makes a lot of sense and is actually really cool so i know and I would even say this about myself, I think a lot of people, financial literacy isn't some, probably their strong suit. So right. what advice or things do you kind of see often that you could actually tell people to maybe like demystify a little bit? Because sometimes it it's not really that complicated, but it can be so daunting and overwhelming. So what what advice or things do you see all the time that you wish people didn't do? that I wish people didn't do. Or did do more of, I suppose. You know, I, I think it, for me, is more about creating the right delivery of information for people and the fact that we've not done a good job through various businesses um, okay. and, and doing that, right? And so um, there is always an opportunity to proactively, you know, pursue mindfulness about anything that you have in life but on many things you know we pursue things because um you know we're naturally interested in them well for most people their financial circumstance honestly is not something that they're excited at looking into further you know uh, you have 70 percent that live paycheck to paycheck right. um, in this country that's a, a very real thing so to me um 
people can always take additional steps, but I think our focus is on trying to deliver us an experience where it is naturally compelling um, to find out more about the financial realm, you know? Interesting. So it's a totally different approach than how it's traditionally done, right? Yeah. I never really, it never really thought of it like that. If, if you're just worried about making sure the bills are paid every month, you're not really trying to look about how to get better at it. You're like, it's, that's kind of so far down the checklist in that, in your financial kind of world. Is that, is that fair to say then? I think so. I think so. And, you know, if you look at financial services and the way that advice has historically been provisioned, you do have perhaps this, this top down, you know, we understand the financial world and, and we will show you the way. And, and that's certainly very suitable for, for many different circumstances. But by and large, if you just look at overall financial health, financial education for the mass population, um, you don't see advancement. And so you have to look again at that model um, and, you know, adjust it. And so our adjustment is rather than be a top down provision or of advice, it's more about empowering other people's voices to share their experiences, their real life experiences around money. Um, so that's naturally engaging and compelling and people can learn from one another, you know, in their interactions as opposed to um, you know, a hard educational progression. Um, I think we will do a lot to create interactive content for those that want to explore, um, you know, the, the pure content of financial literacy. But the, the most important thing for me is to create um, a critical mass of, of good stories of relatable content um, so that people can, you know, leverage one another's experiences. Got you. No, I, interesting. So I want to dive a little bit deeper into the app, the debit card and how, like, cause you guys don't have any like physical banking locations, correct? That's correct. So how, how do I, like, if I want to take out money, like how does that work and how do I actually use my visa debit card um, and, and the mobile app, like walk us through kind of maybe the average user or, or day of, you know, just maybe doing some of the traditional stuff where you want physical money and For then sure. doing some more of the digital kind of stuff or, or just paying uh, contactless. Yeah, for sure. So the first, you know, step is if 10 is compelling, um, go to the website, check it out, get a good full download of, of what the overall experience is. But then the first step is going to be download the app. Right. And so you right. just go through a quick onboarding journey that's going to get your card ordered and sent to you um, wherever you are. Okay. Um, and so then through the app, you're going to have a nice dashboard of all of the things that we mentioned. Um, so you can take advantage of rewards or take a look at your you know, overall transaction activity. And then with the debit card, um, just like any other debit card in the US, it's a Visa debit card. We have a network of ATMs. So if you want to go um, and get money from over 36,000 locations, that would be free, right? Oh, so awesome. that allows you to kind of interact on the cash side of things. Um, and then, you know, a, a very nice amenity for us is we have the ability for people to send money to one another. Um, and so if you've got friends, family that want to come in and have that experience, the ability to interact is, is really quite 
seamless from in that regard too. Interesting. Okay. Um, so I want to talk about some of the other services that people can actually do in the app. Yeah. So as you come in, you've got your home screen and it gives you um, a collective view, right? Okay. So we are always going to have a suite of things. So, so instead of a, a tile orientation, we want to be able to sum that up. So you've got a nice intuitive way to look at your overall circumstance. So we've got at the top what's called the circle. And you can see, you know, the difference between your amount in checking or your transaction account versus your savings account. Uh, we've also got a line of credit that people can utilize to build credit. So it shows that all in one form. Um, and then people have access to their credit score um, as well on that home screen. We will be enabling in the first quarter the ability to click through there and see your credit score um, as well as some credit monitoring tools. If you go from that, then the next piece is moving money, right? So you've got a lot of different things. If you want to connect bank accounts, if you want to do bill pays, um, kind of like single click to get your recurring bill pay set up for Netflix, that right. kind of thing. And then you've got your rewards page. And so that's where you can go through, see feature offers. If you want to dive into local offers, you've got kind of a, um, a geo location orientation of what might be convenient to you. And then you've got travel. And so you can go into the travel solution and look at all the flights available, hotels, rental cars, even experiences, um, and basically book all those things. You can see the degree of savings that we'll provide. Um, and so it's really kind of a full service solution there. And that's a global capability. And then the third thing is you've got the discounts, right? So all the 50, 60% off offerings that are out there, we've got a daily inventory of you know, 250,000 deals, um, where at this point, we're just intending to get those that might be the most useful to you and kind of a future offer form. Got you. Very cool. So yeah. how does it, it, yeah, it seems like the whole app, you, you basically do everything in the app. And, and I think, let's be honest, it's very rare that most people need to actually go into a physical bank these days, especially for most things, right? Right. So... I'm curious, are you going to expand to other countries outside of the U.S. and Mexico eventually, or are you guys just going to try to stay in, in those two countries? I, I think the architecture of the platform is one that can be carried um, to additional geographies, but I would say a big but. We have nothing uh, or we have plenty to focus on, you know, within us and mexico population i mean you're talking about you know 120 plus um, million people that we could potentially wow. serve well um, i think it'll take us quite some time to to feel like we've reached our full potential on that focus so it's not something that i think about a whole lot at this stage right. um, other than the fact that you know we're trying to build a truly personalized app uh, that when you serve millions of people and provision a broad set of financial services um, it allows for that that scalability um, across many different types of users but also geographies so sure so I'm, I'm curious to maybe just like step back a little bit how did you come up with the idea or decide to be kind of so innovative in a space that 
for lack of a better term for it, isn't really known for innovation. I think it's becoming better in the fintech space, but mm -hmm. how how did you kind of just decide to go for it? Because that had to have been very daunting at the beginning. Yeah, I, I, you know, the, the biggest inspiration to me, honestly, is more about what's happening on the frontier of financial technology um, okay. with these distributed democratic systems, um, cryptocurrencies. I think the emergence of that is a very powerful secular transformation that we'll see unfold over the you know rest of our lives in, in many ways um, it's it's that recognition that also i think helped me to dimension where we are you know and in the progression right. it's really very much first innings right right um and in the digital transformation and so because of that so much promise that's still left to be untapped um, and so that that's really, to me, the, the crux of the inspiration, as well as just seeing um, the untapped potential in the way the conventional models serve people. You know, um, right. if you if you go to the conventional intermediary banking model, right, the natural incentive is you would want to accumulate capital. Right. So for a bank account, um, large balances and then reprovision that um, to cap needers of capital. So through loans and collect a spread. Going back to what I mentioned about 70% of people living paycheck to paycheck, you know, the balances that people are serving the banks with, and then on top of that low interest rate environment provides a, a, a poor economic circumstance for banks to serve them well, right? And so then they uh, need to come up with other ways to capture economics. And that's where we've gotten into one, many people, the banks not being necessarily incentivized to serve well, but then when they do, oftentimes instituting uh, a financial model that's not necessarily uh, constructive to the consumer. So taking advantage of poor mental accounting to insert fees when you make bad decisions um, or perhaps just provisioning, you know, what's on your balance sheet um, by the way of loans. So whether you may or may not need that, um, you know, our incentive is to provide you really as much of those as, as we possibly could, keeping in mind credit risk, um, that basic model um, has limitations. When you look at open systems, it changes that tremendously, right? Um, I'm no longer incentivized just to provide you what I have in my close inventory. I can tap an entire global ecosystem in some ways to get you what you need. Um, and so that's where we want to make sure that we're doing that well, right? So it's a curation engine to be able to get, to tap into a broad ecosystem to get people what they need um, in a more natural way. And, you know, getting back to the membership model, do it in a way where our economic construct is aligned with them being able to move forward in a good fashion. <clears throat> Fascinating. No, I, I agree. I, I think that that makes a lot of sense, but how have you found trying to build some of those relationships with some of the more traditional institutions was it challenging were they pretty open to it a little bit of both or how has that experience been i, I think there's a, a good deal of openness um still plenty of challenges sorting okay. through it you know the the regulatory construct uh for a fintech as a service platform, for instance, is still very much in the early stage. So everyone having very clear guidelines as to what should be done. 
um, is in some form of a flux, right? Okay. So that, that creates challenges um, that continue to get more clear, I think, every day. Um, and then there's just this increasing recognition that this is really where people need to play from a competitive standpoint. And so you have many that are now stepping forward. Right. Um, in the US, you do have a highly competitive banking system, right? So people are always going to push um, toward what that next new thing might be in some way with 5,500 banks, you're going to have a nice set of solutions. I would say the, the construct in, in Mexico is much different, right? It's a much more consolidated um, oligopoly type um, industry construct and the willingness to step forward uh, from an innovation standpoint may be a bit less. Um, I'd say from a regulatory standpoint, it's actually very similar uh, to the US, which is good, um, allows us to be able to, to navigate it. But it's much more important there, I think, to find a really strong partner that is um, with you in mindset that has the commitment to, to carry things forward. And that really gives you um, some advantages because it is a barrier to entry uh, more so. And it could just be that it's that it's earlier a bit um, as well, but I think it has mostly to do with the overall competitive dynamics. Fascinating, uh, interesting. So I'm, I'm curious, and, and I'm always fascinated by this, because you let your users dictate part of your roadmap, and sure, they might actually say they vote for a handful of features that really make they think is going to make sense for them. Mm -hmm. How do you actually manage that to say like, you know what, maybe that is a good fit or maybe that's not a good fit because balancing that sometimes can be very tricky. No, no question. And so the responsibility on our side is to listen first to actions, right? So what okay. people are doing um, and then our planning, our representation of what that roadmap should be provides, I think, all of the, um, you might call it subconscious actions type listening. We just want to take that final step where we're also applying consciousness. Right. Um, now, I will say we also have this opportunity for people to inject new ideas. Um, okay. And if they reach a, a quorum, then we'll build those as well. Um, but with that, I think the key there is what is the right mechanism for quorum so that you know right offhand you have a nice set of active users that have definitive interest in even entertaining um those things that were where we have not necessarily applied all of the um you know proper listening listening formation tools oh interesting so i'm curious what advice do you give to people that are looking to get into the fintech space because you've obviously had a bunch of success. Mm -hmm. You guys have signed some really good partnerships. Um, you have a bunch of people using the app, but what advice do you give to people that you maybe wish you would have known earlier on in, in your career that you'd like to pass on? Yeah, that, that's a great question. So you've got all the customer facing um, platforms, right? So a lot right. of visibility and, and they're, immense in the US for sure. So there are a lot of immediate options there. But then under the surface, you've got a much larger ecosystem of fintech providers um, that ultimately enable, you know, those consumer experiences. So I think it's really 
um, healthy to go through and research a lot of the frontline platforms and understand what their ecosystem really looks like, how it's constructed. I think you'll find additional opportunities there, but it's also from an educational standpoint. So as you get that opportunity to perhaps interview, um, you really understand the structure and function uh, a little bit better, uh, which, you know, we're all figuring those things out as this thing evolves. Um, and so that will be, I think, a compelling touch point for evaluation. Interesting. No, I, that's that's fascinating. So I'm curious, we're kind of coming to the end of the show. Is there anything else that you want to mention about TEND? Uh, to kind of close out the show and, and where people can get more information? Yeah, a couple of things. One is, as we had talked about connecting people with real time um, money transfer between the US and Mexico is 1A for us. So we're intending to bring that live uh, for people by the end of the year. Okay. Uh, we're squarely into implementation mode, but we're very excited about that. Um, and then the second thing that we're working on that's gonna really be an increasing part of the overall experience is a concept that we call Rio. And okay. so Rio is a personal smart assistant that we'll have in the platform that's intended to just be able to deliver the things that you need through a conversational interface or a human um, interface throughout the experience. So we'll be introducing Rio um, in the next couple of months. And the first form is gonna be through the onboarding process. So as opposed to going through a typical application progression um, you'll be introduced to Rio at the beginning and go through more of a dynamic conversation. Um, so we're really excited about that, what that's going to uh, do to allow us to ultimately be this really good curator of a lot of different things down into a simple um, mobile experience. Um, but I guess that's it in terms of the main kind of priorities of the moment. No, that that's amazing. And I, that's that's really cool that you guys are, are building that. So let's let's close the show then with mentioning where people can get more information about tend and any other links you want to mention yeah for sure so tend.money um, is the place to go just to check out what we're doing um, hopefully download the app give it a test run um, that's it we've also got the the social channels we're going to be increasingly active across all of them that you might touch so twitter um, tend money um, Instagram is the same. So check us out there as well. Perfect, James. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to be on the show. And I look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day. You too. Appreciate it, Kevin. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at buildingthefutureshow.com to join the free community, sign up for our newsletter, or to sponsor the show. The music is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at electricmantra.com and keep building the future.